Today's episode of the Heart of Giving podcast is part of a special series we call Made by the Bay. During these episodes, we get to feature amazing people in the Bay Area who are shaping the social landscape of that community. We're grateful for the generous support of Tipping Point Community for making these episodes possible. You're listening to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor, powered by BBBgive.org. Here, we explore the motivations that form the basis of giving and service. We inspire generosity and celebrate the transformative effects that giving and service have on the human spirit and on community. The conversations featured on the podcast also uncover giving strategies that educate and provide tools to help listeners make impactful gifts of both their time and money. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast, powered by BBBgive.org. Give.org is the nation's standards-based charity evaluator, and it's your one-stop source for information on giving and reports on the most asked about charities. I'm Art Taylor. Tim Waters is here, and he is the president of the board of the DEAL program. And I want him to talk about what DEAL does and how it connects to the SAND project. Tim, welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast. Thank you very much, Art. Glad to be here, sir. Tim, talk to us about the DEAL program. The DEAL program is a program, it's actually it's an organization, it's a 501c3 based out of Oakland, California. DEAL stands for Developing Educational Approaches for Life. Our focus is specifically on African-American men of all a range of ages, I'll put it like that, a range of ages, including youth, emerging young men as they emerge into life, and those of us who have a few more gray hairs than uh, we want to think about. And it's really putting programs together that truly give them a voice and address their needs. To that end, the connection with SAN, SAN program is a program underneath the auspices of DEAL that is focused, again, specifically on African-American males and providing a direct sounding board from African-American males so we can tell our story as opposed to other folks necessarily telling the story for us. That's the general scope. Great. So tell me a little bit more about you. Um, you're a volunteer with DEAL and obviously have found time in your life to carve out to, to participate. What do you do for a regular? What do you do as a, as a living? With my gig, <laughs> yeah, sure. um, I, ironic that you asked that at this very specific time. Just a quick background. My background is I'm born and raised in the East Coast, New York, did my education in New England, and then spent the majority of my career in the for-profit space, working for organizations like AT&T, some smaller organizations as well, and then relocated to the Bay Area with my family back in 1999, specifically working in Silicon Valley. I'm a marketing, product management, marketing communications, business development, sales type background, and I went to work for startups there. About 10 years ago, a friend of mine works for a nonprofit in San Francisco, and specifically in Bayview Hunters Point within San Francisco, 
the home of many of us who came here in the 50s migrating from the South, asked me to join his organization. My response to him, I've never worked for a nonprofit. He said, perfect, because we need to have diversified thinking organization. So for the last nine years, I've worked for Young Community Developers, a nonprofit based in Bayview Hunters Point. I started as a trainer and moved my way up through the organization to become the deputy director. Ironically, I just resigned that position to become an executive director for another organization here in Bayview Hunters Point that's focused signally or solely on mentoring and specifically youth mentoring. They have a phenomenal model that does it. And I actually start as uh, in that position a week from this coming Monday here in Bayview Hunters Point. Wow. I mean, you, there's a lot going on in Bayview's Hunter Point. I mean, my goodness, you, you've mentioned about three different organizations in a short time that we've been talking. People don't really understand that all of this exists out there. Am I mistaken in thinking that there's sort of a robust community of people trying to elevate the lives of young people there? And certainly I'm sure there's a lot more that can be done, but it seems to me that you have a good base. So Bayview, as I said earlier, is a community within San Francisco that was and continues to be the home of major home of many of the African-Americans here in San Francisco. I can't remember the exact number, but I will say that at its peak, we were probably, we as African-Americans, families accounted for double-digit percentage of total San Francisco population. That number has dramatically decreased over the years. A couple of reasons. One, the economics of San Francisco. And quite frankly, it is an underserved, under-resourced, under-under community where a lot of the families, not all, but many families live well below the average median income. Poverty levels are high. School systems are, systems are challenging. Our youth face many challenges as I speak to cohorts and friends and around the country of the typical challenges of generational poverty, generational trauma, and all that goes with it within the community. Our focus as an organization, YCD's focus as an organization, is and our mission, our purpose, is to help move folks from generational poverty to generational wealth, and I'll add, as how they want to define wealth. People define wealth in different ways. What we really want to do and help community do is advance. We take ownership of their community, control, management, whatever adjective you want to put around it, for community and evolve the community so it's a much more conducive community relative to advancement. And as you know, Art, there's a lot of challenges around this country for families, African-American families, and the position we're in, I would just focus on the economics, the housing situations, mental health and wellness situations, educational situations, a, a plethora of challenges that we face. Bayview is no different. But our purpose is to proactively and aggressively help our community move forward. Excellent. Let me ask you about the SANS project in particular. Now, when I talked to James about this, he was 
suggesting that some of the great things that came out of the, the project has more to do with serendipity than what was planned. You know, you, you said we were planning to just get together to look after each other, just to check in on each other as a result of COVID and having to be locked in. But then something more interesting happened, which is that you guys began to talk about different issues. And from that came this project really that now is trying to elevate young people in that community. Would you talk about that a little bit and how you saw that evolution? Just thinking through the process, when when James and first thought of and created this idea, to your point, he brought a diversified set of folks together, some that I knew already, educators, some in the legal field, some in the, uh, several, I believe, in the academic field for discussion. And it was a recognition, again, working with James and a crew, probably about, I think our first meeting, probably about six to eight brothers sitting in convening uh, via phone and in my backyard to talk about what do we do for us and how do we render, what are the issues that we're facing collectively and how do we expand our voice and provide a platform by which we can express those issues, talk through them just through dialogue to mitigate some of the internal pieces of it, but then also what kind of actions can we take to give those voices, black male voices life, which historically from our lens and the team's collective lens, uh, as I said, a diversified team does not always happen where our messages, our, our requests are filtered through different vehicles. And so it's really James's concept that we all embrace was for lack of a better term, that taking control of our messaging ourselves. From that, we talked about, well, what's the platform? What's the path to make that happen? And the, the idea was, well, let's have various topics that we discuss and just discuss it with varying points of views and lenses. And again, cover areas of mental health. What do we do with relative to families? What about civic engagement, things like that? And then be able in various these buckets, so to speak, and then how do we communicate those in a manner through a, uh, I think James refers to it as a Jeffersonian roundtable where we all then can get together and chat about those. Again, doing it in a visual way, doing it similar in podcast form that we can directly get that message out and start engaging folks, people who are willing and desirous and to move our us forward in a very direct manner. That was the, that is not was, that is the purpose of SAN. So I would argue that right now we're in the early phases of really talking about topics. Our first one was about health and well-being. It centered around the COVID situation and very specifically vaccination, not vaccination and different perspectives. Turned out to be a very, very rich conversation in that area. And you had, as they like to say, kind of both sides of the, of the perspective of it. And then, as I said, I'm sure we will move into other areas about uh, that involve uh, civic engagement, that will involve reparations at the end of the day. It's again, it's ironic that I'm here this week 
with some dear friends of 45 years that we went to school together in the in in my undergrad life and we just spent a full day at the african-american smithsonian institute and it is a one a place that i know i'll have to come back at next summer again at least two or three times and i was talking to uh, a friend of mine who joined us for the trip and i said my major takeaway there was the fact that we as black people and we are black men are without question resilient actually i said quite frankly it's amazing but shows our resiliency that we're still here and you go through that museum and i'm sure that you've been there of what we as a people have had to bear, the fact that we're still here is, and we will be here, and we will continue to push the envelope, is a blessing, shows our resilience, and we will keep pushing. And I, and I appreciate, not I appreciate, I value the SANS project of saying, let's, we need to take this to the next level and move it forward. That's fantastic. I'll note that I, I apologize, but I just thinking about this this week and that experience, you know, was there's a, so much detail, but I like to bring things up to well, what does this really mean to me and my brain and how do I as a black male move forward and what's my purpose, my purpose in life. Um, I'm a, I'm a big believer of find your why, you know, and understanding your purpose. What do you see your purpose as? So you're very familiar, I believe, with find your why. My purpose, when you write that singular sentence, which literally is, should be no more than seven to ten words, tops. My purpose, when I wrote it, and I'll give you context after I share this with you, is to invest in me and everybody around me so we can lift as we climb. We can lift as we climb. Just so you have, Art, some context to it, while at YCD, we're, we are a large CBO relative, not you know $100 million budget organization, but we're a very large CBO, the largest African-American-led CBO in, in San Francisco, not just in Bayview, in San Francisco. And as a result of that, there are a lot of smaller CBOs, community-based organizations that want to grow. The reality is the city wants to give them funding. They don't have the fiscal capability. We we are the fiscal agent. To, to help them advance, the city has asked us to deliver training, capacity building for them. And we put together a 12-week program. We meet every other Wednesday on Wednesday. So the question is, where do you start a class like this, right? You can start about, you have to do budgeting, you have to do marketing, you have to, and I reflected on it, but why? What, what, what's your purpose? And the, the example I shared with the team is, do you let your budget drive your purpose or do you let your purpose drive your budget? Do you let your marketing drive your purpose or do you let your purpose drive your marketing? And it really brought me back to finding your why, and thus that was the catalyst of starting the class. And me, and I said, listen, guys, I'm asking the program participants, there are probably eight in the room from various CBOs. This is the process we're going to go through because I really want you 
and need to understand our purpose. Because once we understand our purpose in life, for me, it, it allows us to drive how we act, what we do. One of the things I share with them, I said, listen, if my purpose is inconsistent with the organization I work for and their purpose, that's a problem. I'm blessed to have a work for an organization where my personal purpose of, as I said, investing in me and everybody around me, not just my staff, but my community, and lift them as they as we climb. And that's what drove the the that was the impetus behind delving into each one of us delving into our purpose. And it's powerful to me. It's very powerful. I can see that. What are some of the other organizations that you're fiscally sponsoring through your organization? We have, and again, since I left a week ago, two weeks ago, Friday, I'm not sure if I should, I can't disclose names, but to give you a concept, some of them, there are three or four that we fiscally, YCD fiscally sponsors. And again, let me be also clear, YCD is where I work. It is separate from the SAM project, just so you sure, know. Sure, I understand. Yeah. Okay. Too. And let me make sure I got it all okay. right in my head. DEAL is the organization that you're president of the board of, right? Yes. Now, which, what's the name of the organization that you work for? I just left. You just left, right. An organization called Young Community Developers. Young Community Young Developers. Okay. Community developers. Okay. It is a, next year, they will be a 50 year old nonprofit in Baby Hunters Point established okay. in 1973. The executive director is DeAndre Brookter. Okay. Who is the deputy director of that organization. Okay. And now the organization that you're headed to is called Friends of the Children. Mm -hmm. San Francisco Bay Area. Okay. Is that organization connected to any of these others or is it a separate organization? No, it's totally separate, not connected. Okay. And you asked me a question. I'm sorry to interrupt. You asked right. me a question on the CBOs. Yeah. Which, which community-based organization? Yeah. What were they? What did they do? One CBO focused on domestic violence against women. We support them as a as an organization. The second CBO focuses, works closely with, and it's actually a pretty complex structure, but NetNet works closely with San Francisco Unified School District in advancing, my words for lack of it, programming that uplifts our young brothers and sisters in the San Francisco Unified School District to increase performance rates, et cetera. And the third organization that I highlight her ultimate goal is to, again, like ours, is to uplift the community very specifically. She works with youth that, quite frankly, many of which, if not given something productive to do, are engaged in things that really lead to some of the violence issues that we're having within community. These are, at the heart, you know, good young men that are trying to survive in, a, in an environment that's very difficult. So what she does is provide work, what we call community community beautification opportunities. And she provides food distribution opportunities 
for which, as they are employed during the week, will divide, be provided stipends or some sort of uh, format. That one occupies hands, gets them engaged in community, quite frankly, keeps them off the block, and recognizes, and they recognize their internal value, worth, beauty. And if you play that out over the long term, really taking back their own community where they're part of and really owning the community and seeing their contributions to that community in a very, very productive way. So those are three. There are some others that we work with, and I'll give you that some more. Oh, YCD, and I, I say young community developers, you'll hear it often. Nobody wants to say young community developers, so we just call it YCD work with as well. But it's an important part of the, the work that we do within the Baby Hunters Point community. Okay. Critically important. And this is all through YCD. YCD, yes. Okay. Talk to YCD. me about Now, YCD has its own program. So if you think of an organization the size of YCD, we do youth development programs, reentry programs, housing programs. The executive director, DeAndre Brookter, can walk you through all of our programming mm -hmm. that we deliver direct into community. Mm -hmm. And then complementing that, as I said, the city recognizes that there's a set of emerging African-American CBOs that are currently in fiscal sponsorship. Thus, we provide technical assistance capacity building to them. And keep in mind, we have a a city where we are blessed to have an African-American mayor, the board of the president of the board of supervisors and our African-American male and the head of the human rights commission, which is for lack of a better term from my lens, the keeper of many of the funds that are made available to the African-American community and CBOs that support it is led by an African-American female. So it's a, for lack of a better term, a cool working opportunity for us that we have this moment in time as an organization to truly advance our purpose. Tell me a bit more about DEAL though, the organization that you chair the board of. As I said, DEAL is all about, so DEAL is a name, it's an acronym that talks about, that is for developing educational approaches for life. It is the name of the 501c3. So all the paperwork and everything in the bylaws is under deal. The implementation of deal is the programming that we're looking at involves both the work that we're doing with the SANS project as being one and then other work that will move forward relative to advancement of young and emerging African-American males from a professional and a life perspective. So I should say life and everything that, that means. The initial focus is, you know, the old adage, you don't want to, I'd rather do a couple things really well than 10 things messed up. James was correct in focusing very specifically on the SAM project as the initial program programmatic launch and how do we move that forward. And again, as I said earlier, really giving voice, direct voice to African-American males so we can tell and control and our story directly. What do you see deal headed in the years ahead? So the short answer is my expectation and the work that we're going to put in working with you and others is that each step we take 
will be successful for which we can build upon. I think the work that we're doing here with the SANS project will show not only the power of the voice, but the process as well, and the importance of engagement with African-American males, which will then allow us to extend that reach, as I said, to emerging young men, focusing on their life advancement, career advancement, personal advancement, however you want to do it. So I see SANS as a launch pad, prove success, prove impact, show outcomes, and let that be, again, another leveraging step as we go forward. That's what I envision deal. Rome was not built in a day. It will take time. But again, partnership and engagement, quite frankly, with you, similar organization is critically important as we get the the word, literally get the word out. Great. One last question I have for you has to do with what you see as the nature of the challenge in San Francisco, specifically in the Bay Area in general. What are some of the major challenges that we need to address right now, particularly around black males? And that, that's a critically important question because there are, in my humble opinion, there are several when you get to the level of details. I think that one of our, as a city, this is Tim Waters' opinion, is to continuously show, demonstrate, deliver opportunity, alternative opportunity. Do not let your past define your future. You are a valuable asset. It's how you spend your your resources and your time and your energy. It matters. And the reality is you can go left, you can go right. But depending upon which way you go determines not only your success, but has an impact in community as well. The opportunities, I think, are great. The recognition is and again, reflecting back on what I just experienced this week, you know, sometimes I say four generations uh, in a household that have been subject to systemic and systematic racism. And what does that mean for a person at the end of the day, following Maslow's hierarchy and needs at the end of the day, I still need to eat. I still need air. I still need shelter. And quite frankly, I, I need to do what I need to do without connecting that with a rich set of resources to opportunities and, and progress and, the, and showing potential and just showing, pulling out a person's understand your work, it, it can be problematic. And so the challenges, as I said earlier, some of the challenges that we have in the city that we have many, whether it's healthcare, housing, quite frankly, and keep it 100, violence, as people want to protect their little block, it's getting smaller and smaller in certain in certain places. Those are the realities of 400 plus years. And what do you think is holding that? We will not make that an 
an excuse. I will not let that be an excuse for us to continue to be in that way. Again, going back to my purpose, it's lift, invest, and lift as we all climb. And I'm not sure if that answered your question in the lens that you were. No, it does. Let me, I'm going to phrase it a a bit, bit differently, though. What do you think is holding us back? What are some of the barriers that we're facing? And you mentioned mm-hmm. 400 years of slavery. Obviously, that right. will have some impact. But what There's are, tactical what, levels of what's holding us back. The fact that a, a San Francisco, by definition, is extremely, extremely expensive. The fact that not everybody, not everybody has the same agenda as we have, which is advancing our community. There are other agendas as well. The access to various resources or lack of access to various resources can hold anybody back. A education system, public education system that needs continued investment will hold any community back. So when I think about housing, access to or the challenges of accessing healthcare, the economics associated with the city, those things are barriers. Those things are clearly barriers. And quite frankly, when you get to a point, and again, when I think about young community developers, YCD, where a lot of the work that we did and we do is centered on workforce development and, and education development for our youth, those are barriers. The sub barrier is a mentality for some people is will, and I can't be mad at it. If this is how it's been for me, mama, grandmama, and big mama, and pardon my bluntness of it, but this is what I know, and this is what is be becomes that becomes a reality, and it doesn't have to be. And so how do we knock that barrier down, which is about opportunity, alternatives, and again, where you feel you are really engaged and part of and take control within your community in a productive way so you move forward. I like to think four generations from me and what do my children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren will have. And quite frankly, as I shared with my daughter, a story that I heard on one of my favorite radio stations, NPR, and they were talking about a holiday and and they were able to name, talking about Christmas, and they were able to name a very significant player. My comment to my daughter was this. I said, listen, two generations from now, maybe they'll remember the name of Timothy Waters. I can guarantee you six generations from now, nobody will know my name. And that's okay. Because my job with my family and my children is to instill a set of mores and values that transcend names. It's about truthfulness. It's about trust. It's about faith. It's about loving each other. It's about family. 
they don't have to be associated with my name, but those are the mores and values that I'm committed and have always been committed with my children to pass forward. And I think, and I want, I wanted her and she got it. Don't worry about the water's legacy. We survived through how we passed that along. And I believe that is true for our community as well. 20 years from now, nobody's going to know. Well, maybe 30 years from now, when I'm long gone, nobody's going to remember. Oh, Tim, who was that dude over there? But I want YCD and every organization and every CDO and every person in our community to continue to rise, lift as we climb. Yeah, well, you're not done yet, and you have no idea what you will do that people will <laughs> right, remember that's three generations from now. So right. let's keep rolling that's with that. Right. Let's keep rolling Got with to. Now, listen, um, so I asked you about the barriers. You talked a bit through your values and handing those values down through generations about how we overcome it. But programmatically in your mind, what are some of the things that we need to do to assure that those values are transferred from one generation to the next? Programmatically, I'm going to take it at two levels. One, their traditional programmatic work. We need we workforce as a, as an example. There's when I say programmatic actions we need to take. If I look at the workforce issues or opportunities within our community, we need to recognize that economic wealth development, if you want to put it in dollars and cents, has given the advancement in technology has changed. So we need to make sure that we recognize that not everything is based on having a traditional academic degree. Tesla's in our backyard. We got technology companies in our backyard. There are opportunities for folks to advance with the levels of skill sets that through training, recognizing their starting point wherever that starting point is, recognize that starting point and build upon that. So from a workforce perspective, important that we recognize change, embrace change, and allow people to rise in areas of interest. I also believe that entrepreneurship is, is an opportunity, has always been, and again, when you really connect the dots, you see it, Entrepreneurship is something that African-Americans have led. We've started probably from a percentage-wise as a population, probably the highest percentage of an ethnic group that start businesses. The challenge is we also need to supplement starting a business with all the fiduciary financial skills and tools, financial literacy to support those businesses and sustain the businesses. And that's where, as we know, and as I'm sure you know, we start a heck of a lot of businesses but we also lose a heck of a lot of businesses as well. How do we make that change? Because the world has things. If there's one thing that, that the pandemic did, uh, among many, was reinforce the fact that, and you, and you see it a lot, I've never seen so many people start their own businesses as I've had in the last two years. Small businesses. The issue is how do we make sure, what do we do as a community-based organization, and what do we do as a community to make sure that's sustainable? School system is critically important. What do we do to continue to provide clear tools and support and resources to advance our children and our young folks up and to the right, wherever that may take them, whether they go the quote unquote traditional academic track or they go through what I said earlier about 
you know, skills and technical development track. The more important thing is how do we raise them to move in that in that manner. Those are, in some respects, the programmatic stuff. But there's one piece that's very, very, in my humble opinion, critically important. And it's called mentoring. At the end of the day, all what I just talked about is truly, to your point, programmatic stuff. But it's to no surprise to you, because I'm sure as you look back and think about all the young men and women you have mentored, I can look back and think about all the young men and women that I have mentored. They weren't necessarily associated with a specific program. They just came into my life somehow, whether it was my connection when we, at one point, my family lived in Florida and we were embraced by people in Florida and they said, oh, by the way, this young man doesn't have a pops and Mr. Barter, we you spent time with it. And to this day, and this goes back to 1992, and today we still have a relationship, a very strong relationship to just people you meet in your path and your ability to influence and show them the possibilities, the opportunities. And again, I'm an economics major by trade and a business person by trade, but it's not just about dollars and cents. It's an important piece, but economics is about value, not necessarily dollars. And it's finding your value is what we need to continue to mentor young men and, and, and women. And without that mentoring in an environment where there are so many negativity pressures, again, the result of systematic and systemic challenges for generations, without having that, without having the arts out there, the Tim Waters out there, the James Walkers out there, and more, those are the things that really matter. So yes, there's programming pieces, but the mentoring can be programmatic, but it is, it's also mentoring in life. And I've been blessed to been able to, from my humble opinion, help folks, help our brothers and sisters move forward, just giving them some sage advice and counsel. Mentoring is key. And that can be both value and program. Well, listen, right? yeah, Tim, I can't thank you enough for agreeing to be a part of this and giving me your time to share these important stories about what's happening out there to uplift people who are struggling. I'm wishing you great success in everything you're doing as you head into your new endeavors now. Thank you. And I also am awed really by how much you're connected to in that community that is working to improve lives. So, so thank you for that too. Can I just add, I appreciate it. You just said something that sparked something yeah. in my head. The other thing that we need to do as leaders, executive director, whatever our role is, you don't even have to be ED. We really need to engage our community. We really need to be in community. There's a lot of people that talk about it, but you know the saying: don't talk about it, be about it. Be about it, yeah. Be about it. So it's be in community, add your value, add your contribution, and and uplift our folks. And I am convinced that we will we will not only succeed, we will rise. We will continue to rise, lifting as we climb. I appreciate the time, Mark. Thank you. I want to say to all of our listeners, 
You can find us on all major podcast platforms if this is the first time checking in. I hope you'll subscribe. And if you want to make a donation to the Heart of Giving podcast, you can do so by making a gift at givegive.org. Thank you all for listening. You've just listened to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor. Be sure to tune in next time for a brand new episode. To listen to our other interviews, visit heartgiving.podbean.com. That's heartgiving.podbean.com. Subscribe to our show on major podcast platforms. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests, not those of the BBB Wise Giving Alliance or program affiliates. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. This podcast is protected by Podbean's Terms of Service.